the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. This is episode 282. I'm Paul Spain. I'm Will Reid. And I'm Mark Derricket. Welcome along. Thank you, Paul, Thank you. Mark. Greetings, Telios. Great, to, you, great to have you both here. Wallace. Well, remind uh, listeners we fit into this uh, this world of uh, tech and uh, and gadgetry and podcasting. Sure, uh, here's a reminder. I host a podcast called New Zealand Entertainment Podcast with Jared Tito and Yulia Podril. She's a Russian, and we're two bros. Thank you. And you do uh, work in the uh, the world of technology and consumer oh, electronics as yes, well, don't yes, you? Yes, yes, I do. Yes. Yeah, consumer electronics. Yep. Yeah. Not and, Dick Smith. And uh, no. <laughs> no, well, there's not too many people working Dick Smith uh, left, 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 left in New Zealand. Uh, I think that all these stores have closed, haven't they? Uh, Mark, where, and where do you fit in? Apparently, I run the uh, Illegal Argument Java Development Podcast, although we've only had one episode this year. But, uh, and uh, also do concert, concert photography for libel music and Chalice of Blood. You're very good at that. And you work in the technology space. And field. I work in the technology space, yes. yes. Software yes. development. Right. And, yes. What a nerd. Many years of, of geeking out for a living. Yes. All right, well, let's uh, let's jump in. Now, uh, first up, a little gadget that I've been – I've sort of been looking at, it, at technology in this particular area for some time, have yet to find anything that I thought was kind of the product that ticks the boxes. What I'm talking about is some sort of <clears throat> GPS tracker for kids. So oh, you kind right. of yep. know what know what's going on. Where's my kid? I've lost my kid. Um, I know you're supposed to keep your eye on them at all times, but you know they go to school and there are varying other situations that arise. The vets have a solution. You can just chip them, right? That's a yep. little bit different because it doesn't tell you where they are at all times. <clears throat> well, it could, couldn't it? You could chip in like a GPS unit. No. Right. Okay. Maybe maybe one day, but not yet. So we're not living in that matrix yet. This is a slightly different matrix that uh, that we're in, uh, Mark. Oh, that's um, it's a good thought. So, Zio, um, show me. Now, I always forget how to pronounce this thing. Uh, X I A O M I for those that are uh, uh, wondering. Xiaomi. Okay, there we go. Wall's got it even better. How do you say it, Wall? Xiaomi. Xiaomi. Yeah, I think so. How do you okay. say it, Mark? Xiaomi. Show me. Show me. Show me. Okay. Xiaomi. <laughs> Uh, they have a smartwatch for kids that has yep. a little panic button on it, uh, GPS route tracking. And a price tag under fifty US dollars. This seems like a pretty cool idea. So you put your SIM card in it, mm. um, so the the kid doesn't need to uh, to be carrying a uh, a phone because the the SIM goes straight in there. Yep. It's got that uh, panic button which can alert parent family of their uh, current GPS uh, coordinates, along with um, a few seconds of, of mm. audio from the watch's <clears throat> microphone, what's sort of going on at the time. And then there's um, path recording, uh, route tracking type stuff. And you can even uh, have alerts, say, when uh, you know child would enter or exit from uh, from a, a safe zone. So, uh, you know, well done, might, bravo. might be as simple as knowing, pretty, knowing you know, your yeah. kids left the school grounds during the day when maybe that's not the plan or, uh, yep. or, or they've got home early or, you know, things like that. And apparently they've um, the smarts on it are good enough that even though it's got just a little 300 milliamp hour battery, that can provide up to six days of life. Now, we know all these stories around phone manufacturers saying, yeah, my phone lasts for, you know, 2,000 hours or some crazy uh, time, and in rea- reality it doesn't. So it's going to come down to, I'm sure, a number of factors. What's the it- name of the, wa- the thing called? Ch- child thing, the watch? 
whatever. The, the watch is, is um, just as a smart watch for, uh, for kids. <clears throat> they are calling it... What are they calling it? What's its exact name? Um, is that true? The, my, bunny. my bunny. My bunny. My band. My bunny. My bunny. Where did you see that? Yeah, oh, I think okay. it's called the. I think in English it's probably my band. <clears throat> I can yeah. see this going down really well with uh, drunken adults as well. Like here, oh, here, picture this: a stag do. Everyone gets one of these. Well, and you I, know where your partner is, or I could actually use this on all you my could. podcast guests to kind of know when they are when you know they're supposed to be <laughs> arriving at a particular time, and then I actually go and actually see where they are and why they're not here, and when they're yeah. when they're giving me stories of like, yeah. oh, I'm on the Harbour Bridge at the moment, I'm not far off, like whether they're actually there or not. Mate, I'm expecting a My Bunny free from uh, you, Paul, next week. So it's called Please. My Bunny, and the strap is made from the same antibacterial material as the My Band. Okay, okay. Which is... Um, Clarified. And it's IP68, which means, um, yeah, you know, of water and dust on. resistance. So, uh, yep. so I assume this is running some form of Android or some... Is it Android Wear or what is it? Or possibly yeah. lighter weight. So it's I, would, have, I would say it's some sort of Linux type. Yeah. Very, very, very simple OS. I, I know if, Google if were working Linux. on their kind of like more IoT OS, which is based on Linux, but isn't... Oh, based on Android, but not Android. So whether Xiaomi is using something similar and not having that full capabilities of the OS would give you the extra battery life. So do you think? Do you guys think this sort of looks like looks like it's going to be a good product? I think it's a great idea, definitely. Well, well, Especially yeah. for, see if we can get our hands on them. So, yeah. it seems, seems, we? seems worth looking at. So, we'll test um, them out for you, Paul, and make up bogus excuses. So you can tell us where we are <laughs> and why we're not at the podcast on time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was kidding, guys. I, although you would look rather cute with that uh, that little pink number um, on there, Mark. Um, oh, God. thank yeah. God you're looking yeah. at him. Yeah, yeah. And you with the with the light uh, the light blue one, uh, wall, or vice versa. Now, other things of talking about wearables and gadgets. Someone has shown off Windows ninety five running on an Apple Watch. Why? Wow. Yeah. Why? And I know just because. Well, but I think why? that's it. It's the just just because you can, isn't it? Someone's uh, tested out uh, squeezing. Uh, squeezing. Is that the Windows most interesting Apple news you can find for us for the show? Paul? Well, we know you're a little bit biased towards uh, <laughs> Samsung because of your day job, but I, well, the thing is, you could you probably couldn't do that on on the on the gear, could you? No. Anyway, I just thought that I, don't was, know if you I thought it, I thought it was pretty funny that you could run a twenty-plus-year-old um, version of Windows, yeah. um, s- sort of, on a uh, on an Apple Watch. The video's online if anyone is uh, that is semi uh, w- wants, wants to geek out on that. I yeah. suppose you'd have to use a Bluetooth mouse or. Uh, no, it was very hard to control from the the little snippet of video that I that I had a look at. They were sort of tapping on the screen all the time, and they had uh, just to boot uh, Windows operating system. Of course, the watch normally goes to sleep, yep. so you you had a little motor that that was uh, attached, so it was moving the uh, the the crown, so that, that kept moving, so as to keep the uh, keep the watch awake, so that actually uh, Windows could start up. Otherwise. Yeah, it would kick, kick you back, and you have to start again. You have to start again. You have to start again. One of the challenges that we had with the um, some of the early Apple Watch apps that wouldn't start before it went to sleep. I wonder what other Apple devices Windows uh, works on ninety five. I think I've seen it running on like a iPhone. People have just like put them on everything, and mm. not very not very useful as you say though. Well, now we've had news that. An Australian says he created Bitcoin. 
Yeah, Aussies will say anything to get in the news. Stephen Wright. Yep. It got reported in the media last year that maybe he was the inventor of Bitcoin after some news was sent to, or some information was sort of leaked to Wired and Gizmodo last year. Yeah. And, but when they looked, when when it was investigated, it really looked as though there were a bunch of sort of uh, fabrications and so on uh, in his past. So... There's quite a bit of discussion around this on online, uh, but things are pointing to suggest probably more so that Craig Stephen Wright is not the inventor of Bitcoin than is that. That's kind of my, my take on you know some of yeah. the bits and pieces. Yeah. I mean, if you read the mainstream news, a lot of it just reports the story that he is. But I think when those that have delved into it a little bit uh, a little bit deeper. Than just uh, you know picking up what's you know virtually a press release and copying what you know everyone else is putting up there, it, it would suggest maybe this thing doesn't uh, do, doesn't, doesn't quite stand up, eh? doesn't, doesn't stack doesn't up. quite um, stack up. I mean, it's it's a pretty hard thing to uh, to tell really, but yeah, there's there's a bunch of reasons that would would challenge this, and, and including um, I think potentially the 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 mathematical uh, credentials of um, of Craig Wright. So Why would you come out now and say that you're the inventor of the Bitcoin? It just seems a bit dodge. Well, I had I, heard some talk about that he doesn't have the cryptographical expertise and the math background and stuff, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he might not have invented the concept. Maybe not the machinery. You're right, yeah, yeah, just the idea or and concept. There, there were some reports that he had transactions that linked back to the very early <clears throat> bitcoins so he was involved quite on or had some evidence that yeah. he was er- early in the game supposedly he's got reasonably high percentage of the bitcoins in existence yeah um there's a suggestion he could have as much as sort of half a billion us dollars worth but i'm not sure that we've actually seen the the rest of the picture sort of uh, actually agreeing with that put it that way right yeah so he he may have thought that he could get some notoriety and uh you know all sorts of opportunities off it but uh, if that this could also if it's not true make him look pretty stupid because he's now come out and publicly announced it which is a bit bit of a step further than uh, than the bit of media coverage around the the supposed leaks last year which uh you know, it's been suggested that they were. Um, this was this was set up deliberately. These um, communications. This reminds me of another great Kiwi technological event that happened, uh, where we claimed we invented flying first. Richard Pierce before the Wright brothers. Remember that? That stout is still going on. No, it was the Kiwi guy. No, it was the Wright brothers. Reminds me of this: the Bitcoin guy. He's but from we, Australia. We did invent the flat white though, right? Oh hell, yes, yes, we did. And the pavlova. <laughs> and far lab. Well, he wasn't invented, but you know what I mean. And wheat picks. Thanks, Paul. That is a, yep. No, I'm not. Well, well, maybe we did. So a vote. What? Uh, what side? What side are you on, Wall? Did, did, nah. he, did he invent it? No, nah, no, nah, I don't think so. Going from the article, Mark. I say we put it to the people. We put up a web page, and they can like click. And they vote. can put put a Bitcoin in in one column if if to vote for one direct. For yes, and a Bitcoin in the other column to vote for no. The only problem yeah. with that is to put an enti- entire Bitcoin in. 
uh, worth about 440 US dollars at the moment. So I'm not sure how many we would get. We might get a small fraction of 0.0001 of a Bitcoin for so, votes. So but, are um, you saying there's a problem with the online voting or the the financial exchange of that online voting? So the uh, the challenge as I see it is just the value of Bitcoin. Anyway, I get your point. You're suggesting that we should move into talking about electronic voting, which just happens to be what's being looked at in the Australian Parliament at the moment. So, um, nice. Mark, what's your thoughts on, uh, instead of uh, the old school voting method that they've been using in the Australian Parliament for um, 100 or so years of everyone going to one side of the Parliament or the other to uh, pick their votes, um, that we should take a, uh, they should move that into a digital age? I think definitely moving into a digital age for voting is a good thing but i think the software needs to be quite controlled or at least maybe not controlled in the fact of it being open source and being able to be checked for how it's doing its counting and actually having good rigorous testing and that kind of stuff so you're worried somebody might do something dodgy manipulate the system not necessarily manipulate the system but just software that might do the voting counting wrong and they're looking at maybe swipe cards, so maybe somebody who's not there could hand their swipe card onto somebody else. So it needs to be needs to be capable of checking that people are there as well, physically, right? Does it yeah. need to be like the airport with a booth where you have to go into the booth and it takes a photo of you and checks that you're there? See, that's not going to speed it up at all, is it? That technology would slow no. the whole process down. One of the interesting ones that I did read about a while ago was actually almost referring back to our previous story on Bitcoin of using the blockchain technology that backs Bitcoin for part of that voting process so you know who has voted, when they voted, whilst still maintaining the anonymity, the anonymity of the vote itself, of who actually made that vote. You can track, and that can prevent... Do you need the anonymity, though? I mean, if previously people went to one side or the other for a bidder to vote for or against... The anonymity is not uh, it's not so important. What do you think, Wall? Sounds like bull rush to me, mate. Everyone rushes to one side of the room and the other side. Um, I, I think it's going to cost a lot of money. They, they're talking about $3 million over three years implement this electronic voting system just in the Aussie government, uh, in the Aussie House Parliament. So, I mean, if it catches on, I'm sure it's only a matter of time before we get it here. Is it tech for tech's sake, though? Yeah, I think it's a bit lazy. Bit lazy, really, and it's just I don't think it's necessary. I can understand voters voting for the local, you know, the local government. That's quite a that's quite handy to have because you know not many people can get to the toll. Well, that would save that would ultimately save a lot of money, wouldn't it? Yeah, you know, rolling that out for uh, for voting and voting in who's going to be in parliament, but, but uh, in parliament putting itself, putting an electronic system just in that room. Yeah, I mean, if they, if they did the same thing here in the Beehive, where they actually had to push a button instead of getting off their big chuffs and go however they vote, I think I, th- I think it'd be a bit lazy. Personally, that's my ten. Bitcoin's right, worth. So this is the it. button would make it more sort of a old school reality TV quiz show type thing, which actually could be quite cool. Like W three, isn't it? Quite, the show quite entertaining. Right. You can sort of see the live. You could see the live results on the screen and see. You know, you see it, it move up and down one direction. And um, I'm, I'm all for technology when it when it adds value, but I don't think this does. What about an app? An just, app? just put it on your phone. Uh, You'd have to make sure everyone uses a Samsung phone, though, right? You'd be vendor locked. Blackberry, mate. Blackberry. Skinny, skinny prepaid. It's the government. Get them all it's a the skinny government. prepaid phone. 
Yeah. Okay. So there's there's a bit of room for uh, for some work in this in this area, but you guys aren't entirely convinced um, no. about um, Not the, government, no. the government getting this. Now, two degrees. We're told that there may be uh, out seeking a little bit more uh, capital. There's been uh, a bit of you know coverage. I think yeah. starting out in the Australian media, that two, two de- New Zealand's two degrees, which is out now third largest telco, they've got their mobile network and, uh, of course, broadband, fixed broadband services and so on as well mm. now, that they might list on the Australian uh, stock exchange or maybe the New Zealand stock exchange and the Australian stock exchange. Um, varying bits and pieces bounced around there in terms of potential valuations. Uh, yep. And uh, I guess, yeah, there's some varying opinions too. So one number that was uh, bounced around was um, that if they were going to be floated on the stock exchange, they might be aiming for an $800 million mm-hmm. uh, valuation. But, of course, they've never actually made a profit. So uh, that that could call into question that uh, that sort of valuation unless they're, uh, they're going to be making a good profit sometime uh, reasonably soon. Mm. Very ambitious, isn't it? New Zealand company going out to Australia and try and mix it up with the big boys over there. Well, I mean, they're internationally owned, um, so I think most of the uh, their, their majority shareholder mm. trilogy uh, international partners is is in the in the US. So they're not something that's ent- entirely uh, funded out of New Zealand, that's for sure. Although there, there still is some um, you know some some level of local ownership. Well, they've been around for a, f- a few years, and I, I mean they've they've proven themselves in the in the local market here, and like you say, that internationally as well. I mean, they, obviously, they've done their number crunching and everything, thinking they can do the same thing in Australia. So, um, no, I think it's a good thing. It's good expanding, as long as as part of that expansion, it doesn't actually have an adverse effect on New Zealand New Zealand market. market and the support and the actual quality of the network and services. Well, there's a bit of a challenge when you've got a company that isn't isn't making a profit, and you know they had, they've had a big impact on our market here. I mean, all of us have have seen it, mm. and our mobile prices here in New Zealand is, is, is still a reasonable chunk more expensive than what they are in Australia and and some other markets because of the the competitive pricing that uh, two degrees are brought to bear. Yeah, you know, they they do offer uh, you know that that local support uh, aspect, which which certainly I think people appreciate. But as the the sort of newest player. It's harder for them to win those those bigger contracts, and I think that's one of their challenges of why they're, they're still, uh, you know, loss making here, is that uh, not so many people have made that move. Although the the general uh, feedback around their their network and so on is um, is pretty good most of the time. Um, you, either of you guys on two degrees? Not at all. I am now. I, I was on Snap and moved mm. over to two degrees when they merged and. Now that fibre is coming to my area, I'm looking at possibly switching my phone over to them as well and getting a combo- just combining everything in my package. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I mean the general feedback out there is, um, you know, is is positive. But businesses usually are pretty conservative around these things. If they know they've they've got good reliable results off uh, off one network, then you know they're not too keen to um, to stir things up and maybe get issues with staff not getting coverage and the sort of issues that that might lead to. Although they'll have a bigger consumer market over there as well. Yeah, well, that's true. Well. Um, I mean, what one of the things that I think makes it easier now is that most of the telcos have got very, very good group calling plans on a and and a, and some of those are on a month to month type basis. So you know, an organisation could sort of pick all their maybe low lower risk connections, or maybe move half of their business over to two degrees, see how it works uh, without having any impact because group calling plans aren't. Um, 
um, what they used to be. It had to be, you know, somebody else was on the same uh, group as you for you to be able to call them for free. Now, generally, mm. all these plans are all you can eat calls. So um, that that thing of having to have all your eggs in one basket is uh, is not necessarily there. Although I imagine most businesses don't want the uh, the hassle of of having to uh, manage multiple telcos or too many telcos anyway. What could yeah. be good is if you had your two degrees phone, you went over to Australia for work or for holiday, and that was just free roaming onto two degrees Australia. And but I don't think there will ever be a two degrees Australia. It's more just it's more just a, a, a listing, unless, unless yeah. there was some sort of merger with one of the Australian networks. Which brings us on to what's been going on with uh, Telstra and their network in Australia. Some some listeners may remember Vodafone having all sorts of dramas with with their network going back, um, you know, a few years. And this really impacted them to a pretty big degree. They had to commit to spending hundreds of millions of dollars to uh, to improve their network in uh, in Australia. But this year, it's been uh, it's been Telstra's uh, turn. And you know, of course, uh, Telstra, well, I guess the equivalent of what we had here in uh, in, in in Telecom New Zealand, and mm. the the you know the dominant player there. But uh, they've had all sorts of uh, network failures, which you know, I guess some might. Uh, so well, we we we've had some of those things happen with our mobile networks here in the past too, uh, but this is something that's very uh, very very current and 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 close to home. So it's um, it's a bit upsetting for them, I think, because they've you know supposedly built this great robust network, and yet they've been having all sorts of problems. I think three major outages this year, and on two separate uh, dates, they've had to. Give away unlimited, uh, unlimited internet, mobile internet to um, to the users, which is a pretty unprecedented uh, uh, type of situation. But somehow on those days, their networks uh, actually managed to uh, to hold up. So now what they're saying is they're committing uh, fifty million dollars into uh, to fix these meltdowns. And the last one was uh, was just on Monday. This thing seems to uh, seems to just keep happening, and and these things last for multiple hours, where uh, where users are just finding that the uh, the Telstra network seems to be broken for them. This is a disaster, really. I mean, it's the whole of the country. You know how big Australia is. I mean, it's uh, for a, a, a big network Telstra. You know, like a big network like Telstra to go down many times during the month, or uh, service failure, maintenance issues is, is pretty major. And it's not just the phone network anymore. It's businesses that rely on that for yep. internet traffic, for actually doing their e-commerce and... Bitcoin transactions. Yeah. It's yep. not just not getting your phone call to your secretary. Or yeah. Yep. To you. So what wife. What would you do after after three outages, Mark? I mean, I if, this was, sw- if this was your business. I would probably look at switching to two degrees or to any of the other ISPs or phone networks yeah. and, or at least looking at... Uh, getting a phone that maybe has two SIMs so that you can have fallback between two networks. Hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I would imagine there, there will have been some impact. I, I would think, though, for a big player like Telstra, most would be thinking, well, hey, this is Telstra. This isn't going to keep happening. But now after the third time, that's when people are going are gonna to start sort of questioning. And, of course, Telstra is coming out saying, hey, we're going to drop this investment. But you know how long could it take? And we we looked at the issues that Vodafone had in Australia, and it took a long time for them to go. And they basically had to, you know, replace a very large chunk of their network or upgrade a very large chunk of their network um, in order to, uh, you know, for things to come right. So mm. I'm assuming from the the bean counter side, you'll be probably having SLAs for your data centres and your, that kind of stuff. SLAs. 
your service level agreements that you're having a minimum. I'm playing dumb here. A minimum amount of downtime that if you've now had three outages, your customers are now being affected. It's not just you. Yeah, well, it said that they had sort of brought brought together the um, the players that were involved uh, to try and help them analyse the uh, the actual uh, cause. So you know the the networking uh, the networking companies, Cisco, and uh, also the the mobile network provider. You know, it sounded like they hadn't really got to the bottom of what the root cause was, but it was. They, then there was a flow on, which was when they got the network back up and running, it couldn't handle all the users trying to reconnect at the same time. So they're having to invest in getting that fixed so that if they do have disconnects and they basically restart the network, that their, their users can all come back online rather than, you know, well, yeah. look, we're going to ask everyone to go and, you know, it's like telling people to turn off their uh, their routers at home if there's an issue, like, oh, everyone, you know, all our customers, please go and, you know, turn your phone off for five minutes for some, 10 minutes for the next lot, 15 minutes, you yeah. know, so that they all don't come back online at, at a time, which, of course, they're all going to naturally are going to try to do, so. Vodafone were lucky they turned it's it around, good. but these guys are stuck in a rock and a hard place here. Their, their trousers are down around their ankles here. It'll be interesting to see what's going to happen in the, in the next couple of weeks, how the public reacts, but also how Telstra set about trying to fix it up. Mm. Now, we're also, in fact, um, stuff we're reporting on this, and we do get the, the you know, plenty of sort of you know, tech-type uh, topics that uh, end up landing in our uh, mainstream media here. This idea of headset-mounted laser beams being aimed at our eyeballs basically to track our eye movements um, for, you know, when you're using virtual reality headsets. Now, there have been eye-tracking technology around for a long time. I see you there, Mark, moving your eyeballs around viciously, imagining something's uh, something's going to uh, start impacting and that maybe lasers are going to start shooting out of your eyeballs and uh, destroying the room. But we're, we're, this is actually not virtual reality, this room, I'm afraid, Mark. You know, this, is, uh, this is the real world. We are not inside the Matrix, or we would lead you to believe that. This sounds like it makes a lot of sense for that sort of the, the next version of our uh, virtual reality headsets to uh, to have that eye tracking uh, type capability in it yeah there has been a level of this technology around for a while but we've never really seen anything uh, use it to a to a great degree what do you think mark is it is it appropriate and where else should we be looking at uh, at eye tracking i think it's probably a, a definite evolutionary next step for vr systems but i mean i've haven't really played with too many vr systems but the ones that i have d- done the eye strain that you get on using them, even after like five or ten minutes, can be kind of sore on your eyes at times. What, dragging a mouse around with your eyes? Well, even just looking at that screen that's like more, say, like the Oculus Rift or the, the Gear VR where the, your screen is directly in front of you. Right. The eye strain that you get kind of looking at something that close, that's flickering, that kind of affects your eyes. And you can get a bit of eye strain. So if there's even more technology in there looking at you and maybe adding weight or adding other things, the physical side side effects might be more detrimental than the actual technology. And as someone who wears glasses, that uh, VR systems probably don't necessarily work that well with anyway. Mm. You might get refraction or if you've got like cross-eyed or other eye issues, those tracking systems might not work as well as everyone would hope. Mm, mm, mm. So the yeah the the technology that um, that's being referred to here is from a company called iFluence, <laughs> an interesting name. But 
I know. I I think um, I think this this is probably something that we just you know would expect to um, to become mainstream over time, wouldn't you think, Wall? Yeah, oh, definitely. That is this year's the gear or the virtual reality glasses, augmented reality glasses as well. They've been around for a while. Sony has some out. Um, it's all coming to the fray where it's colliding the technology of VR and also. Um, the technology, uh, computer technology and digital technology is, is actually blending in now and starting to take off. I think next year you'll see a, a bigger uptake on technology like this that will be used, not only in uh, those sort of surroundings, but in the music world. Like I just saw, a, um, I think, the town hall with a robot called McBase, which was, they're going to be using that eye-tracking technology as well. And thinking about, so all you need to do is the musicians just look and do what they're doing, and the robots will just mimic them, playing the instrument, the musical instrument. So medical world as well, so it's going to open up those doors as well, I believe. And you know, yeah, I'm, I imagine you know there's some people that can't use a, a mouse and a, and a keyboard, and this type of technology becoming more mainstream just suddenly becomes a really easy option for them, rather than uh, you know something that hasn't been developed to a, to a level where it's it's great. Um, I would imagine this will help push it push it along uh, a for lot sure. more a lot more quickly. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's uh, that's us for this week. So, oh, we do have one other uh, one other gadget here. Now, who's uh, who's got yeah, uh, got that? The, uh, I think um, Mark's got them. He's uh, been holding them. Panasonic uh, in ear, funky looking Bluetooth. Yeah, these phones. are the Panasonic Wings Bluetooth headphones. Um, they've launched like they sent some out for us to have a little bit of a little bit of a play around with. Yeah, the uh, the Wings uh, Bluetooth headphones. They're um, they're a bit different from the other ones I've tried. They've got a, a little over ear piece that's made out of. Oh, what's the material? It's a um, basically, a, I guess, a bendable alloy, so you can uh, you can adjust those, and you know they've got a rubber coating over them, so quite comfortable to uh, quite comfortable to wear, um, and just a little wire from one side to the other. You recharge them through a micro USB connection. You can control the volume um, from that wire that sits behind your uh, behind your neck, so it's not uh, not actually on the the device. The bits that you know hold the battery and so on 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 each side are a reasonable side size but they're not too heavy not you know they, they seem to fit really well into your ears they're quite quite comfortable if you if you're running and and a bit of movement they they feel as though they're sort of gonna gonna stay in your ears for uh, a reasonable period i haven't had them out and about a whole lot just yet but um you know from from what i've tried of them they're um they're they're quite quite nice is it worth it that step up from um from a wired headset to uh, to wireless for those sort of outdoor activities and whatnot I traditionally use uh, the the Powerbeats wireless in ear earbuds, which are very similar to this in the the physical the, physical the dimensions and the yeah. style. With yeah. the more of a, a bulkier side on, on the sides and the ears, which actually gives you enough weight to hold them in place, along with the little adjustable earpieces that wrap around your ears. Because otherwise, I found other ones I've used they just kind of like fall out, or even if mm. they just come apart slightly, you just get air noise rushing in as you're like at the gym and you're moving your head around and that kind of stuff they just pull out and and definitely not having cables that like tie you to a machine or to to things to trip over just has it got a built-in microphone so you can take phone calls on that it does appear to have a microphone and it's got a three button remote okay, remote, remote yeah, so you yeah. can yeah. keep it yeah. to yeah. it so you've got like track yeah. forward track back answer pause and yes the kind of standard thing that you get on all of these funky devices hmm hmm and they're not they're actually quite nice and stylishly looking, whereas some of them just look like very kind of dinky toys or Yeah. And what I like about them uh, compared to the other brand that I use, which I think is uh Plan Plantronics if I remember correctly, is those ones look very sporty, they're kind of bright and so on. 
I prefer these just, you know, they're sort of dark grey, black. Yeah, they're a little bit more sort of subdued. Although one person did, did point out, but you, you remember uh, going back a few years when people used to wear the sort of the, the, um, the in-ear Bluetooth thing yep, in their ear? Yep, yep. And it was just, you know, the most wrong thing to actually do would be seen wearing one of these things. Well, when you put these in your ears, it can look as though from one angle that that's what you've got in your ear. You've got one of those sort of you know, sing, single little uh, single piece Bluetooth, uh, Bluetooth in ear. Uh, headset, but actually you get the same from both angles because, of course, you've got one in each ear. People might not notice stereo, the wire coming stereo. out. So uh, you can look real super sort of, I don't know what the term is for, for wearing those, but there, there, was, just, yeah, yeah. there was just something Uber really, nerd. really, really, uh, you know, dorky about them, although they, they obviously had, had some, uh, some real practical, of, um, practical benefit. dorky wearing these over the ear cans, but well, those I, I mean. You, you say that, but with as more important, more people use like iPhones and iPads and MP3 players and that, and are walking around listening to music. You'll see people walking down Queen Street in the streets with like these giant, humongous, beastie Sennheiser studio headphones walking down the street. Yeah, but that's like, okay because you see people on on hip hop uh, music videos wearing that, so um, so yeah. that that's considered cool. Yes, but if you yeah. listen to nerdcore, then they use in ear Bluetooth. Oh, really? <laughs> Excellent. All right. You had to put that in there at the end, didn't you? Good on you. Do you listen to modem sounds at night as well? No, but I have been able to connect manually myself <sighs> in the past. What does that mean? I've been able to squeal and connect to a BBS. <laughs> okay. <Is it>? um, <laughs> we're just going. The, the hospital's not far up the road to the psychiatric ward, so um, we're going to have to end the podcast there. We, we're going to have a, a bit of explaining to do to um, um, yeah. to, to Mark's uh, near, near, nearest and dearest. Um, Ostracised so, by the podcast community. Yeah, thanks, they'll, um, be, they'll be expecting it, I'm sure. All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening into the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Now you can track me down online. I'm on Twitter uh, at Paul Spain, and you can find us at nztechpodcast.com. Of course, podcasts like the New Zealand Entertainment Podcast can be found at podcasts.co.nz. Thank you, Paul. Um, Wall, where else do we track you down? You're um, on Twitter. Yeah, on Twitter, Wall Reed, W A L R E I D, or New Zealand NZ Entertainment Podcast. Thank you, folks. Excellent. And you can find me at, at Talios on Twitter or uh, illegalargument.com for the podcast or chalice.net or, or ostracized from podcast.com. Excellent. Hey, thanks, yes. everyone. We'll catch you again next week. Uh, feel free to uh, tweet us, Facebook us, or, uh, or email if you've got uh, topics you'd like us to, to discuss. All right. Look forward to hearing from you. Chat soon. Bye. The New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.